I see some, a few VBS shirts in here. Uh, if, I just want to thank you all. I love VBS week. I wasn't very involved this year because my <laughs> wife's mom, dad, sister, and then my son-in-law, daughter, and granddaughter were all living in our house last week. Um, my middle-aged, routine-driven, empty nest, quiet life. Uh, it's fine. It was good. Um, but I, the, my favorite part of VBS week is seeing all the people that involve themselves, not just the children. It's really fun to watch. It's fun to see Kurt be Kurt. He was kind of made for VBS week, um, although getting a little sore a little longer now. Right? <laughs> you know? um, but those of you who volunteered, those of you who supported, those of you who did anything at all, I just want to, I want to, from the front, just say thank you. Mo will do that later this afternoon or later this morning in the VBS service, but Thank you so much. Um, I just want to tell you a little bit about what, what happened this week. The Vacation Bible School, those are three words that no child would ever put in the same sentence probably, right? Vacation Bible and school. But we do a great job with that here. And um, years ago, it seemed to be all about, uh, as, as much about the decorations and the, and the activities as it was about the scriptures. But over the last seven to eight years, we've really concentrated on um, what are we teaching the children? It's not an afterthought. It's part of the plan from the beginning. And the rest of the theme comes from that. So the theme this year was step into the light. The theme verse uh, was in the same way, let your light shine uh, so others can see it. Then they will see your, the good things you do and they will bring glory to your Father in heaven. And the four passages we talked about, one of which we're going to talk about today, uh, was Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace from Daniel 3. Paul and Silas in jail from Acts chapter 16. That's the one we're looking at today. Ruth, the whole book. Um, they, didn't, they didn't read through the whole book, but they, they summarized the story. Um, and Jesus' death on the cross. So they got a gospel presentation, all of these children, throughout the whole week and in an age-appropriate way. So today, um, in the next service, or the, the later service at 1030, the message will probably end up being about eight or nine minutes. So if you want that one, just step out and come back in, a, in an hour. And, uh, but today, I just I want to concentrate on one of these passages because I thought it was, I think it's, it's a story that's sometimes overlooked. I mean, it showed Paul and Silas shows up in some of the children's songs and things like that. But there's a lot going on in this particular passage that I just think it's good to, to look at. We start next week a sermon series on 1 Corinthians. Um, so this is what, today is what preachers call a one-off. It's just, it's a sermon that stands all by itself. So I'm going to offer a prayer, and then we'll get started on this, on this, uh, this pericope, this section in the book of Acts. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this week. Thank you for all the behind-the-scenes work. Um, the setting up of tables, the tearing down, the cleaning up, the, the, the changeovers that had to take place. I know that Alicia and her staff, um, it's a crazy week. I know that Daniel and Josiah and the tech team, it's a crazy week. All the microphone switching, all the, all the music, the, the, the band that was here, all the volunteers from, from crafts to Bible stories to walking children back and forth. Um, it was so good, Lord, to see See some young adults just decide this is what I want to do for a week in the summer. Lord, we're going to talk about one of those stories. You know it well. You wrote it through the, through your, through the hand of Luke, and we look forward to hearing what you want to say to us today. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. This is your message for us, not my message for them. Join us. Be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So you're probably familiar, but um, <clears throat> Paul is traveling with Silas, and I believe they're in, they're in Philippi, and something kind of strange happens. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on the strangeness, and it's one of those things that in our modern world we don't like to think about very much. Um, the, Roman, the, the Roman gods, it's known as the pantheon of gods, and you probably studied the mythology of that when you were younger. There is biblical evidence um, that, that God knows about that pantheon of gods, that God calls them little g gods. And within the worship of those gods, and I put that in quotes, um, there are spiritual beings that masquerade as something that is part of one of those little gods. We call them demons, or sometimes just an evil spirit. There is a woman in this particular passage that has one of those spirits. The interesting thing, and you've heard this from me before, especially in the gospel according to Mark, the, the greatest witnesses to the person of Jesus Christ, who he really is, son of the most high God, the greatest witnesses to him and who he is in the gospel according to Mark are the demons. They know who he is, and they're terrified of it. Remember when, when, when their the legion, these multiple demonic entities are living inside of a guy and, and, and they say, you know, what are you going to do to us? And send us into the pigs. And Jesus allows them to go into the pigs. They run the pigs off a cliff and they kill all the pigs. Something like that happens in this passage. And it's easy to just read it and just to go right through it because that's not really the point of the story. But to some extent it is. So it reads like this. This is Luke writing about Paul, Silas, Luke traveled with Paul. <clears throat> Once when we were going to a place of prayer, to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now, that's the thing, a thing about Christians. And I know that, that historically, even in our country, there were Christians that thingified other people. They owned them. They treated them like they were livestock. But it was also the church that fought hard to make sure that here in this nation, we no longer do that. It is a symptom of other worldviews that people are treated often like cattle, like pigs, like like things, like things to own. So there's these men that own this young lady, and she, they use her, they exploit her gift for their benefit. She has a quote-unquote gift, and that's how sometimes we refer to fortune tellers and people that quote-unquote speak to the dead today. They have a gift. According to Scripture, it's not a gift. It's a spirit that isn't from God. So if someone is a charlatan and they do indeed, uh, they're just playing on the desires of people, then that's just a charlatan. But if someone, if someone has a spirit and they're able actually to speak of something that is to come, that's demonic. And I don't think any of you in here, if, you have, if you're any student of scripture, really believes otherwise but I want you to see what this girl and the spirit within her does. 
This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, we could do a sermon on that two, those two sentences. If you think about it for a minute, why did it take Paul so long? I mean, this young lady is following them around for days, it says, saying, these are, these are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way to be saved. That seems like an odd thing for a demon to say. It seems like an odd thing for, for, a, for an unclean spirit to say. What's the motivation behind it? I don't know. No one knows. But it seems like it was to stir up trouble because they're in Philippi, but this is a Roman-occupied area, and if this woman who foretells the future that has made much money for her owners, if, if she's going around announcing to everyone what's happening, who these people are, they can't be incognito, they can't spark conversations in the public square, they can't, Paul can't be making tents for someone and then uh, organically talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just a herald coming along beside, behind them telling everyone what their, what their motive is, what their agenda is. And so Paul, after a while, and I love Paul, um, he, Paul doesn't pull punches. And it says right here that he got frustrated or he, got, he was troubled by it. And he, and he turns around and in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. I would think that would be something to celebrate that this woman who had an unclean spirit who was being used by other people as property to make them money, I would think that that would be something to celebrate. When we see in, in, the, in the New Testament, in the, in, the, in the Gospels, often when someone is cleaned or, 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 or delivered from an evil spirit, um, people rejoice or they get afraid. If you think about when the, the, the man who was possessed by a legion, these many demons, when, when he is set free and the pigs go into the water, they're terrified, all the people that saw it, and they, command, they, 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 they kind of force Jesus to leave, to go back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But yet there's other times when people are amazed. So you're either troubled and angry, or you're amazed and you fall to your knees and praise God. These are Romans, Roman people who own this, little, this young lady, and they exploit her for their own benefit. At that moment, the spirit left her. And when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, they put them in the Inter, inner cell, which is the maximum security, and fasten their feet in stocks. Now, normally we think of stocks in the pilgrim days, head and hands. These were, these were wooden stocks, 
and you had to you, you had to put your feet up and put them in. So imagine sleeping. You're either sitting up in an awkward position with your feet up and you have to sit or you lay down but you cannot, you can't straighten your legs. So it's very difficult, what people would say, very difficult to keep your, your muscles from cramping, especially after having been beaten, flogged, stripped naked and beat publicly. So imagine, think about this. This is where Paul and Silas, this is the situation they're in. They were flogged, they were flogged. This is the cat of nine tails. This is the same thing that Jesus went through right before he was crucified as a process of the crucifixion. Paul speaks of having received those 39 lashes more than once. This is one of them. So he's in a dank prison cell trying to lay down on a back that has been stripped of its flesh. I hate to use the word, but oozing. Very uncomfortable. So if you were Paul or you were Silas, what would your attitude be? If we're honest, my attitude would not be, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I wouldn't be doing it. But that's exactly what they were doing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open. And everybody's, everybody's, everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, which isn't flipping a switch. It's going to get lanterns, lighting them, and bringing them in. He called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, and the word here, it says sirs, but the word here is kurios, lords, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. They then spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At, the hour of, at that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and, met a meal, or, and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So this is an odd situation. It's midnight, earthquake, everyone's released. No one leaves. The jailer realizes that he's going to be killed anyway because he just, on his watch, something like this happened. So he's about to kill himself. Paul rescues him from himself, and the man falls down and says, tell me how to be saved. So, I don't know, one in the morning, he pulls them aside, takes them to his home. He preaches the gospel to his family. They present to him and, and Silas a meal. They have fellowship together. He has time to baptize them. This is all the while when he's supposed to be in stocks in the inner sanctum of the prison. So the jailer was about ready to take his own life, realizes that these people didn't do what they could have done. And, he, and so he goes to them and asks for salvation. And then he breaks the law 
takes them out to his own home. His family is saved and baptized, and then he brings them back to jail. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with an order, release those men, the jailer told Paul. The magistrates were ordered, uh, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. This is what the jailer saying to them. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers, reported this to, the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers, the other believers, and encouraged them, and then they left. It's an unusual story. You can make a movie a full-length movie out of this story if you just put flesh on the bones. What does it have to do with us? I don't know what's coming. I don't have a spirit that tells the future. You don't know what's coming even though you see the signs. I don't know if 10 years from now, being a Christian is going to be illegal. I have one friend who's a pastor that thinks that, that all pastors are going to be jailed. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that on the plane, when I sit next to someone, if I'm traveling alone, um, it used to be if people go, well, what do you what, what do? you do? Because sometimes you strike up a conversation, and I try to avoid the, the, the question of making them feel uncomfortable because people, the, someone will sit next to you, and they'll talk, and they'll say some, of the, some god-awful things. I mean, I've, I've, and then they ask you what you do. Uh, uh, uh. And I used to say, if they would ask me, I'd just say, oh, I'm a sheepdog. That's an unusual answer. And they, well, what? If they follow up, like, well, I run around, I bark, I make a lot of noise, and I try to keep the sheep following after the shepherd. If they want even more, okay, we're going. But I'm giving them an out if they want it. But now, and a friend of mine recommended this, but now if, if, if someone really wants to know what I do, I will say something like, well, let's just put it this way. In some parts of the world, what I do is illegal. And it may be coming here soon. Well, that, that sounds, that's, that's intriguing. And it might open up an opportunity to talk, to share. And if they want an out, they've got it. Because it's not what people sign up for, to sit next to someone. I have a, friend, a Catholic friend who, to keep someone from sitting next to him on the plane, he flies, uh, what's the one that you get to seat yourself? Southwest, thank you. <laughs> He goes in, he brings his really big leather-bound Catholic Bible with a crucifix on the front, wears a crucifix, a big one, on his neck, and sits in the aisle, and then when people come down, he's like. <laughs> so some of us introverts just trying to avoid. What Paul and Silas are doing in Rome is illegal, and in, in the whole Roman kingdom, or Roman Empire is illegal. They are no longer under the umbrella of what it means to be Jewish. The, the Roman authorities understood that the Jews were different. They had one God, but they kind of kept peace within their own midst. And so they allowed them to worship their way and didn't require them to go to, um, to other temples of other gods. 
But the Christians, as, as Paul was spreading out around and on his missional journeys, sometime in there, the Jews got upset, the Jewish leaders got upset, and they tried to make it so that the Christians were no longer the, under the umbrella of the Jewish religion. When that happened, being a Christian was illegal. So what Paul and Silas are doing is quite literally trying to convert people from a worship of the pantheon of gods in Rome to being followers of Jesus who makes us not our own, but makes us so that we belong body and soul and life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't belong body and soul and life and death to the emperor, to Caesar, but to someone even greater. And they met with great resistance. They first had a demon telling everyone what they're there to do. And she was right. And then they cast that spirit out and her owners get upset. And they bring them in and bring them out in the public square. They strip them naked, flog them, and jail them. If I were Paul and I had the authority of an apostle, I think that I would call down fire from heaven. But they prayed, and they sang hymns to God. And they didn't, according to this story, they didn't ask God for rescue, but God rescued them anyway. But for what purpose? So that they were free or so that others could be set free? I don't mean the other prisoners, although that's glorious. But a jailer, a Roman jailer and his family. Do you remember the story, I believe it's in, in John chapter 4, when Jesus, it's, he, he, he says, he, it says in John 4 that he had to go up through, uh, through Samaria to meet the woman at the well. You know that story? No Jew ever goes through Samaria on purpose. You don't have to go through Samaria. It's the worst trail, and they are people that you don't want to be around if you're Jewish especially a Samaritan woman, because they're always considered unclean, always. But Jesus had a divine father-instructed appointment to go meet this woman, to bring the hope of faith in Jesus Christ to people that worshiped wrong. Same thing here. The jailer and his household, I don't know if they, if they worshiped Aphrodite, Zeus, Mars, I don't know, but I do know that God wanted them to know him, the one true God. John 17, 3 says, and this is everlasting life. This is Jesus talking, that they know you, the one true God. So Paul and Silas suffer for the sake of someone else's salvation. Now, I love how Paul's like, hey, we're Roman citizens. They, 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 threw us, they beat us and threw us in here without a trial. So he's, he's poking the bear of the magistrates too. But the whole purpose, as I see it in this story, is that God allowed great suffering for Paul and Silas so that others could witness them praising God even though. Now, you remember when Paul was called, the guy that was asked to go give him back his sight after he was blinded on the road to Damascus, he kind of debated with God, like, I know who that guy is. I don't have anything to do with him. He used to kill Christians. And God said, go give him back his sight, and I will show him how much he must suffer 
for my name. Now, this is a theology that we don't talk about much in the church. You've seen me bring it up on occasion. Suffering is awful in both senses of that word. It is awful. It hurts. But it's also full of awe. We've seen as pastors and you've seen friends suffer and wither away before they die. And those who have hope have strength. They have peace. They have their moments, but they always come back to, I know where I'm going. I know whose I am. And you know, it is very difficult for an unbeliever to watch a believer suffer and still have hope, to suffer and still have faith and not wonder What is it that they have that I don't? This man and his family were saved because of the suffering of followers of Jesus. If that had not happened, when would Paul have met this jailer in his household? And the beautiful thing to me is as soon as that man realized that he could be dead, but Paul stopped him because he did not escape. He became like a Christian before he was one. He asked how he might be saved, and then he, he cleaned up his wounds. He didn't have a servant do it. He did it. And then he took him into his home, showed hospitality, and allowed them to speak the truth to the whole household, and they praised God because they had learned how to be saved. He became kind and gentle and hospitable after seeing someone suffer. When was it over for Paul? Well, what does Paul say? To live is Christ. To die is gain. I think, uh, Pastor Jungling, I don't know if I'll have it exactly right, but, but I, I live, if I live, I live for Christ, and if I die, I'm with him. The only thing to be concerned about is location, location, location. I'm either with him, or he's with me, or I'm with him. When's it over? Folks, for Christians, it's never over. Suffering ends but life does not. So in the meantime, because your life cannot be taken from you, your eternal address is secure. In the meantime, even when you're suffering, praise God. Not for your suffering, but in it. The scripture tells us to be, to rejoice in our trials. It doesn't say for them, but in them. It's kind of like, you know, what's the difference? Prepositions really matter. Think about it like this. Did Jesus save you in your sin or from it? See, if he saves you in it, you're just wallowing in it. You're still in it. You don't ever get out of it. And he, he keeps you alive. I, I got stuck in a swamp one time uh, duck hunting. And, and I, 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 I got sucked down into about here just to, to the tip of my waders. I couldn't get out. There was suction. And if my friend Court Langwin, he, he saved me from the muck. But if he would have saved me in it, he would have thrown a stick across. I would have had my elbows up and I'd still be there. But he pulled me out. That's what Jesus does. And he calls us when we're suffering 
to rejoice, even though. Can we be a people, come what may, that refuse to stop praying and rejoicing? Paul says it like this. this is, we'll end with this. But we have this treasure, our bodies, in jars of clay to show that, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Folks, these are perplexing times. I think you know it. I know it. And I don't know what's coming. I can rejoice in some of the decisions that took place last week. But I grieve that buildings are being burned down and people are rioting. What's coming? I have no idea. But I know the one who does. And so do you. Pray. Rejoice. Sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to God. That is what's distinctive about us. And return evil with kindness. Love those who want harm to come to you. That is who we are because it's who Jesus is. It'll be over when the Lord says it's over, but it will never be over for you. I don't mean, I mean your life and your salvation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But between now and then, cancer, pain, grief, loss, dis-ease, hopelessness, those things may come. But pray and praise and sing and be the person God has called you to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I'm not going to thank you for suffering, but I pray you give us the courage to thank you in it. I don't know what's coming, and I pray that you that you change this world, that you bring revival and renewal, and you turn everybody back to you. But if not, Lord, we will not forsake you. We will be yours from now for eternity. We thank you for that, and that is worth rejoicing in and praising you for. In Jesus' name, and for his sake.